everyone. I'm Lee Stabert, Editor-in-Chief of Keystone Edge. Welcome to PRISM, a podcast series we're launching in partnership with the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts. The goal of these conversations is to shine a light on the power of creativity in PA communities. To that end, PRISM will dig into the state's creative ecosystem, a dynamic place populated by painters, filmmakers, game designers, architects, woodworkers, civil servants, musicians, podcasters, and nonprofit visionaries. The creative sphere intersects with almost every aspect of life here in the Commonwealth. Immigration, entrepreneurship, Main Street revitalization, education, social justice, design, and population growth. It's going to be a colorful trip. In our first episode, we want to expand the map, finding inspiration in unexpected places. I spoke with Hannah Harley of Indiana and Erin Neinhauser of Ambridge, two women who have committed themselves to creative pursuits outside of resource-rich and art-dense cities and they're happier and more fulfilled for it. The lesson is clear. In a small place, you can have a huge impact. In the last section of the episode, we put them in conversation with each other. It was a lively and fruitful discussion and one we hope continues after our recording ends. Up first is Harley, an artist, curator, organizer, and educator. She is the founding director of Spruce Arts in Indiana and the site supervisor at Southern Allegheny's Museum of Art in Altoona and she has helped transform the built environment of her hometown with paint. My name is Hannah Harley. I I grew up in Indiana, PA, so I was born and raised there. It's a very cute town. It's got a great downtown area, so you have all of these beautiful historic buildings, um, and you have the university close by, too. A lot of um, homegrown restaurants and things. It's a very welcoming environment. Um, We've brought a lot of people in through our artist residency programs from all over the world who then you know, we'll we'll go back to like New York City and talk about how great the bread is at the bakery or the coffee at the coffee shop. And it's a wonderful place to be an artist too. Did you stay in Indiana from childhood through now or did you have a different trajectory? I was in Indiana all through my, you know, I guess minor years. And then I went to Pittsburgh for my undergrad then New York City for my grad program, and then I came back to Pittsburgh to uh, for for work, and then um, kept finding myself drawn to Indiana from Pittsburgh. So I was doing that constant commute all the time because it was a space that I really found community and friendship, and a lot of people that were really eager to make something happen in an exciting way with the arts, especially. I think there are a lot of cultural cliches around artists and the arts, and I think oftentimes it's really associated with cities. I think that that trope might have been true, you know, 20 years ago. Um, But it was something I was definitely worried about leaving New York, that I would, you know, fade into oblivion. Because when you're in New York City, they're kind of like, no one else matters. But I talked to one of my mentors when I was there, and they were like, the internet exists. People find artists on the internet. They don't need to be in their studio, um, whether that studio is on Fifth Avenue or in a barn. Um, it's your studio now exists online. You know, you have a studio space that's designated in your house because, you know, what you're renting in Brooklyn um, is now a four bedroom house in a place like Indiana. And so it gives you a lot more resources to make art. I would say the biggest challenge that I think of is the perception that the small town artist is not as successful just because they're in a small town. There's 
something about like, oh, I'm living in New York. I'm an artist living in New York. I found New York to be a very stimulating and wonderful place, but also a very exhausting place. So that when you like got home, you were getting home at like eight or 9 p.m. And then, you know, maybe you went out for drinks or maybe you went to the gallery, but you got home and you were exhausted. And just like living was hard there. And I think that's why a lot of people give it a lot of credit because it's really hard to live live there. Like it's, you're, you're just, you have to, I, I mean, you have to take a backpack to get your groceries. There's just 700 more little steps to living there. I think a lot of people that do, everyone I think that does art for a very long time doesn't necessarily make art because it's, because they need to feel that prestigious New York label, but because it's something that they're driven to do from a very, from a very deep place. And that can't be co-opted by just like feeling a little bit lower on the hierarchy because of your geographic location. So there's always been sort of an unholy alliance between art and marketing. And it's interesting to think about marketing a town using art. And, um, you know, especially as a lot of towns in Pennsylvania deal with population loss, population retention, they deal with trying to lure back boomerangs. You know, I think the arts and artists and creative people have a huge role to play in making these places feel vital and making them feel like an option for young people. We brought in um, muralists in October 2020 to paint, um, to paint. And Indiana does not yet have a um, muralist population. And we were bringing in um, these people that I met through Instagram, actually, um, called Dripped on the Road. And they helped helped us with every part of it, of how to, you know, prep a wall to what subjects to choose. And it's been so exciting to work with them. And these are artists from all over, um, mostly from New York and like Philadelphia area coming in. We did 14 mural installations in 14 days. There was something for everyone. There was, you know, a coal miner that people could really gravitate towards because their families had grown up in coal in the area. Indiana County is a heavy coal uh, industry. And, and then there would be Edward Abbey, who, you know, is this environmentalist uh, that grew up in Indiana County as well. And so you have Jimmy Stewart, but you also have, you know, It's a Wonderful Life, you have Christmas trees, but all done in different styles and all reflecting Indiana in a different way that then people would have, you know, something that they would love and then something that would challenge them um, within that installation. And it's October 2020. And in that time, we couldn't do all of the public programming we wanted to do. We did ask the community if they could welcome the artists by sharing food or gift certificates to their favorite restaurant, because especially at that time, restaurants were really hurting. And so we said, you know, please bring food from your favorite restaurant. Please bring your food. Please bring, you know, beer from our local breweries. Please in some way find a way to support the local economy while welcoming these artists. And it it was absolutely incredible to see what people did every every day they had every meal covered and that was people were just dropping off food they would drop off art that they would make as a response to these murals or poems um, they would come and bring their chairs and sit and watch the artists paint and chat with them they would you know bring sweets but you know these giant pizzas and you know, even one place shut down their restaurant for the evening so that the artists could go and sit there and have, you know, a meal there. And 
it was at every turn, Indiana proved to be this like welcoming community that I always have known them to be. And to welcome these people and say, you know, thank you for this gift that you're giving us. And it becomes this fabric of a town that is very much a vibrant reflection of the people who live there. You now have free art for everyone who can drive a car, go for a walk, be outside. All of these places are public places and we really wanted to make it so that people could access free, free things to do that would kind of change their perception of their town. So what does Indiana still need to attract creative people and to make making a living in the arts a viable thing? And sort of how do you get there from here? That's a fantastic question. Indiana, Indiana County needs, I think, and is working on uh, broadband access. So downtown Indiana has it, but you can go six minutes out of town and you're working off of your cell phone. And I think in the creative field, that's really hard. If you're uploading a video because you're a video editor, you need, you need really fast internet. And that is really hard to find in a rural community. And especially a lot of people in the creative field can work remotely. But if we don't have the infrastructure to support that move, that's really hard. There are things like a co-working space just opened up that has internet. So that is a great draw. There's a community um, uh, sculpture studio that'll be opening up. The public art program has been funded through the PCA Creative Communities Grant, which has been really exciting um, and a really good start. Um, but I think that as much as we invest in you know, roads and infrastructure in that way, creating a cultural infrastructure is going to be the way that people are really pleased with their quality of life that they have. Quality of life is also a major focus for Erin Neinhauser. The photographer and community organizer chose to make a home and build a practice in Ambridge in Beaver County because she wanted to be somewhere where she could have a profound impact. My name is Erin Neinhauser and I'm a photographer. I live in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, which is about 30 miles northwest of Pittsburgh small town in Beaver County. Can you tell me a little bit more about Ambridge and how would you describe it to someone who'd never been there? It's a sweet little town. It, it was the inspiration for my uh, business name, Rust Belt Mayberry, because it just really has that feel where, you know, like many towns in Western Pennsylvania that have been hit hard by uh, changing industry and the collapse of steel mills and just people trying to recover and survive. Um, you know, life has come to look a, a lot different, but the family ties here are, and the community ties are still really strong. You know, people care about each other when, you know, there's a house fire or uh, somebody's, you know, van needs modified so they can better care for a loved one with a disability. The community really rallies around and, and finds a way to help. So there's a real, a real tight spirit here. And um, I, I love it. I <laughs> talk up Ambridge and, and Beaver County all the time. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to work, great place to raise a family. And um, it's just a beautiful area too. There's a lot of natural beauty around the rivers and the bridges and uh, just the landscape is wonderful. And can you tell me a little bit about your story with the town? My husband Dave and I settled in Ambridge in 2012 and that was after we'd lived in Pittsburgh for about five or six years on the north side. And um, I grew up in Newcastle, about an hour north of here, and, and Dave's from Greensburg. And so, you know, we were living in Pittsburgh, and that's great. Um, but we just both missed 
you know, having that small town feel, we found Ambridge. And actually what drew us here was how uh, affordable the houses were, <laughs> that the housing stock is really incredible. Did you look for a place with a creative community or was that sort of on the back burner? So I came to art and photography really through activism. Um, that's how my husband and I met, uh, working on campaigns and issues and trying to make life a little better for um, the kind of people that we grew up with. Like my mom was a stay-at-home mom for most of her life, and she took care of some elderly folks that we knew through church and in the community. And then when I got to high school, she took a job at Walmart to try to put away some more money uh, for me to go to college. And, you know, it was just hard wear you down kind of work. You know, she's on a cement floor um, in her 50s, and she had a lot of health conditions, you know, in the deli. And a lot of the people that she worked with and a lot of the people, you know, in my family struggled with, um, you know, just holding down a good job and being able to just work one job and, and live not even, not extravagantly, but just comfortably, you know, and afford medicine and, you know, just the basic stuff to live a dignified life. And so, you know, just watching all that um, really influenced me. At the forefront of our minds, it was more like, where can we go and make a difference? Um, but pretty much as soon as we got here, we started, you know, making friends, not just in the social justice arena, but also in the artistic community, people that were, you know, working in community development and people that were um, small business startups and, and sort of people in, in those communities where those spheres overlap tend to have more of an appreciation for art. And so those those connections just continue to grow. One reason I think I was excited to talk to you is it's clear that you do some beautiful fine art photography, some sort of political photography, some, you know, port some beautiful portraits, but then you're also running a business where you do weddings and you do service photography and sort of how do you reconcile those two sides of your work? It, it is really a mix. And I... Um, you know, the main thing that I want to do with my art is reveal to people what's meaningful about about their lives and about our relationships as people in a community. And I think that is something that you can do, whether it's telling the story of a nonprofit that is helping neighbors get through the pandemic by making sure they have enough to eat or helping people find vaccines and get vaccinated. Um, or helping people find shelter in, in the brutally cold winter months, or if it's spending a day with a family who's getting a new puppy and wants to remember the head, or um, especially, I, I love to photograph uh, people with their older relatives. And that's something that, you know, weddings, weddings are a joy to be at for a lot of reasons. But the thing that I love most about them is that it's one of the few times when you're surrounded by your friends, your family, multi-generations and people just have that precious time to be together and enjoy each other's company. So that's really, if I had to boil down why I love photography, why I think it's important in no matter what context you're doing it in, is that you're, you're, um, you're able to kind of slow the world down and just focus on what is it that really gives us life. Can you talk a little bit about the Genesis Collective? So the Genesis Collective is a new project in Beaver County, uh, working to make art more visible in the community, to support local artists by building a network of creatives, and to really use art to support um, community development. Uh, we're just sort of entering our second year of official existence, and some of the members, the founding members of the Genesis Collective, 
uh, we'd worked together on community storytelling projects in the past. And um, so it's just really exciting that uh, through our executive director, Pamela Rossi Keen's um, skill and relationships that we were able to get this project funded in November, we had the uh, first ever juried art uh, competition and exhibit for black artists in Beaver County. It was called Being Black in Beaver County. And there were 17 local artists who could submit um, works of art in a number of different mediums about uh, just about that question, you know, exploring their experience as a black person in Beaver County. We had the exhibit in Midland. It was really well attended and it was just amazing to see the diversity of, of ages, you know, um, races, just people getting together and having a good time and and interacting with art and ideas and experiences that they might not have otherwise. We're actually in the midst of planning an arts festival. We want to have an art crawl throughout the county where we can partner with small businesses and match them up with local artists to display their art and, and sort of, you know, create a map so that people are encouraged to go around and um, see all this art and visit small businesses throughout our county. We want to have another exhibit where artists can sell their work to the public. One of our artists who has experience in audio production and theater is organizing a theater production um, that's going to be at the Black Box Theater in Midland. And they're adapting, uh, I think, four or five stories of local people in Beaver County that touch on um, different experiences that people have had in the last couple of years, like around homelessness, around education and the pandemic, stuff like that. And so they're adapting these people's stories into plays that are going to be produced as part of the festival. And uh, the other piece is actually a mini conference for artists that's going to focus on a lot of what uh, local creatives told us that they need in the last year through the town halls that we held in four different communities around the county. So support with, you know, a business plan and marketing and how to how to sell your work and just sort of how to um, how to become uh, profitable as an artist. You know, how do you find grants? How do you get your work in front of an audience? A lot of Pennsylvania communities are trying to attract and retain young people. And I think that young people, even if they are not artists themselves, like sort of the energy to, that is created by a creative community. You know, they like, mm -hmm. if there's a First Friday event, they like an art festival, they like a music in a park. You know, all of these ways that spaces, quality of living is raised by having creative people in a community. And so I think a lot of it is like about messaging and making people know that these people are here. And then part of it is about retention and attraction. It's a win-win when a community embraces art because you're able to celebrate the full richness of who people are and the richness of the history of your town and your community and the natural assets. And um, all of that is, is enhanced and amplified through art. You're listening to PRISM on Keystone Edge in partnership with the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts which believes that building stronger communities takes creativity. Learn more about how the council supports Pennsylvania's diverse creative sector at arts.pa.gov. After our individual conversations, I was lucky enough to wrangle Aaron and Hannah into a joint recording session. I thought these two would have a lot to say to each other and I wasn't wrong. To kick things off, I asked them each to share the most recent community event they had attended. Last week, I went to photograph a wonderful 
event at Neighborhood North, which is um, a museum of play for kids in Beaver Falls. And it's sort of also a startup. I think it's been in development for a couple years. And so they've opened this new space and it's just an amazing place for kids to go and play and explore their creativity. And they have a um, series of artists that were the Genesis Collective and Neighborhood North are partnering to um, bring in local artists to help teach the kids whatever the artist's area of expertise is. So last week, as part of, a, I think, a maybe a five or six part series, um, Denise Johnson, who's a quilter who displayed her work at our um, Being Black in Beaver County um, exhibit, she's funded to teach the kids quilting. And it was just amazing to see these kids who are, I don't know, I guess from ages maybe six to 12 or 13, um, just like the patience and the curiosity uh, to make quilts. You know, they were working with pins, they were making very precise cuts and kind of designing their pieces. So I went there to uh, photograph everything that was happening and, you know, document the experience of her working with the kids and the kids exploring their creativity. That's one of the ways that the Genesis Collective is working to help make art more visible is by partnering with community organizations, connecting organizations that serve kids and families and people in the community with artists to see how um, those things can intersect the most recent art event that we've had here is at the Southern Alleghenies Museum of Art in Altoona. We're doing a virtual um, art history uh, series. And so it's every other week and it's free. And over your lunch hour, you get kind of just a little taste of art history. Um, one of the things I think that is working in a smaller community is a lot of people can feel very intimidated by art institutions in general. It can feel like um, it, it, you want an access point. And so this is a way that we're doing this like, you know, totally free online and trying to make it as easy as possible for people to come in and explore um, art history with like wall text and information that's definitely accessible and interesting um, if you're coming in with absolutely zero knowledge about art. With the Creative Spaces Collective, which is the organization that I work with in Indiana County, um, we do youth mural uh, workshops. So these have been, you know, a couple weeks and we're just getting that off the ground. But the idea is that we can, you know, train mural artists in Indiana County that can then be part of that longstanding legacy. And, and as you were talking, Aaron, um, the visibility of the arts. Often the arts can happen in like little studios that then, you know, it gets shown, but not always has been given the space in smaller towns to do that. And so this is really cool to be able to be very upfront about how visible the art should be, how how much this is a creative community, because we can say as you're walking in, you're surrounded by colorful art and see kind of how the community thinks of themselves too. So with, with that youth mural program, um, the students met over after school and over Zoom and worked with the artist and the assistant artist to create a composition that they they created together. And it was fascinating to see that process happen from especially students not just in one school district but students from across the county. I'm super interested in in what you shared because it sounds like it sounds like where you are at in your community is where we hope to get to um, in our second and third year just just the partnerships that you described and the infrastructure that you're building so I'd really love if you don't mind sharing a little bit more about how how you built that infrastructure, like who were the partners that you brought in? Um, 
what were some of the strategies that you used? Basically, what, what advice would you give to us as we're working to move in a similar direction? So I think that Indiana started off with a really great, um, great community of artists. They were doing a lot of things, but kind of on their own. And so we have a gallery that's been working for years and has been really instrumental in helping us like kind of centralize these conversations. My involvement started when we did an artist residency program in, in Indiana. There was a declining student population at the university and people were renting less of the studio spaces that were available in the downtown. So we wanted to you know, pair artists coming from New York City with these kind of vacant spaces and have them revitalize them. And that was really interesting because people were always interested in the new person that's kind of visiting. And then that got people out of their normal routines. You know, we have this artist from you know, Thailand who's coming in for you know, two weeks and then you get these artists that maybe are in their studios, maybe are kind of doing their own thing, that want to come out and talk to this artist, have a critique with this artist, um, have lunch with this artist. And it provided a catalyst for conversations of how the community that's here could be more interconnected and could be more prepared for welcoming people um, in the creative arts. I think we had a really amazing first year in terms of connecting with artists. And one of our strategies was to hold town halls in local communities to bring artists out to talk about their work and to network, to meet other creatives, to um, talk about what they love about, uh, about their work and about, you know, being able to create and also some of the barriers that, that we face, you know, here in our county, like you said at the, at the very beginning, um, feeling disconnected and not really sure where to turn to, to find community. And so we really learned a lot from those town halls and we built up a really great network. The resources piece, I think, is challenging. So I'd love to hear any any wisdom that you have about that in terms of not just financial resources, but also like, you know, there are a lot of vacant spaces. There are a lot of storefronts that could be beautified with art or pop-up galleries and other things like that. So the resources I found have been the most helpful are um, knowledge. And I feel like most people are like one link away from saying yes. You know, it's it's that there's like a vacant space and can we put art in that vacant space? And like generally, if you look on your friends list, you're one person away from like getting access to that. And I think that's one of the benefits of a small town is you're like, oh my goodness, my, you know, my fifth grade violin teacher knows the person who owns that building and can get you in that way. And so I think that's been really cool is you're like, all of a sudden you're working with people in a different way than you were if you've like grown up in these communities. We started off with a lot more vacant spaces in our downtown. We're working on a renaissance kind of thing that really took off in summer 2019. We had, gosh, 12 or so vacant spots in the downtown. And I did a walkthrough with my friend um, recently and it was less than five. And which is pretty exciting. The university started off the conversation. Um, the, the, the interim dean wanted to bring together a bunch of people to work on a grant application for specifically to fund the, this kind of idea of some sort of way to get the arts really rolling in Indiana County. And that then kicked off a whole bunch of conversations and collaborations. And now it's, you know, kind of exploded because if you get a bunch of people really excited in a room about an idea and then you can move them through spaces um and then the world kind of opens up and it's not specifically that anyone's like you know handed us 
a bunch of paint, but you like get connected to someone who has a connection to a paint company or to the local hardware store or you know someone who has a wall. We've started a portal for proposals on our website of people being like, hey, I have this idea. Here's what it would cost. Can you help me get it funded? Can you help me figure out what it is? And you know, they might think that they need $500 for a project, but maybe we have that resource. You know, they want to do movies in the park, but we actually have a projector and a blow-up screen, so they don't need to rent one. It's been beautiful to find partners who really want to make it work. For our murals, we got we had an excessive amount of lift trucks to help us get murals up on the walls. Like it was like five construction companies were like, here. Every, all of them and we didn't need that many at the end of the day it was just like they just kept coming uh, which was pretty sweet of them and people will donate food they'll donate um, their resources and I think that that's a lot of it is financial resources are, are certainly hard to come by but you know some some people people will give in the way that they can thanks to funding uh, from our partners and foundations we were able to buy fifteen thousand dollars worth of equipment for a lending library. And so that's just getting off the ground right now. And people can go to our website, which is gcollective.org. And um, it sort of mirrors what you were talking about with the um, portal for proposals, where people can you know, uh, send us a message about what project they're working on and what tools they need. And then they can actually come and take this equipment out and use it for their project. And so uh, we want to do more things like that. You know, hopefully, ideally, one day provide, you know, physical co-working space or places where people can come and create. But for now, this is a really nice first step to get tools in the hands of creatives. That's really awesome. We had our first request in the last two weeks, and it was for audio um, equipment to record uh, stories of people in the community. Part of the founding members of Genesis Collective have different areas of expertise. So we have a videographer, a painter, a podcaster, um, me as a photographer, um, someone who does fabric arts. We have uh, a coach who can help artists with their business mindset. So we want to have like a, a sort of a phone a friend expert for people when they when they take out equipment to have somebody to call to help with like technical issues or troubleshooting, just the stuff that you learn every year is with trial and error, learning learning your craft. Um, what we where we hope this will go in the future is to actually launch a media institute where we can formalize. Um, a lot of the training and like actually offer programs on filmmaking and on photography and on podcasting. You guys are both talking about the being in a small town, you have kind of these legacy networks where, you know, you talk about someone's cousin's friend and it's easy to kind of connect with people. But I think hearing you guys talk to each other, it's pretty amazing. And, and I'm curious to hear if there are any ways in which you do connect with other creatives across the state and maybe similar communities with similar challenges. Or if you don't do that, what are some ways that that could happen because it seems pretty fruitful. I, this actually is what I was going to say to the like lending library. Um, one of the things that I found to be really, really helpful was there's this organization in Minnesota called Springboard for the Arts, and they build these things called toolkits. And those toolkits are basically, I did this project, here's how you can do that project. And so that's something that we're building as part of our mural project is, you know, refining a little bit, but being like, okay, here's the contracts we used. Here's the letter we used to ask for permission to use a wall. Here's the like ask that we did of the artists. Here's like how, here's how we did it. So you could replicate that. And I think arts communities are really good about that in general. We're not like resource guarding that information. And I think that you know, like that lending library would sounds like a great thing and being able to be like, okay, what did you spend your, 15,000 on, what did you, how did you do it? What did you buy, where did you go through? 
all of that is really helpful. What would both of you say to someone who said, I, I'm, a, I'm a creative person, I'm an artist, I want to move back to my hometown, a small town, I want a kind of a different kind of life. What would be your sell to them on this as a really viable option, both professionally and just sort of lifestyle wise? For me, I find more inspiration in a slower paced life. If we're going to paint the roses, I need to like stop and look and spend time and really observe that thing. Um, whereas in cities, it's often you're hustling so much. And that hustle for me kind of drains me creatively. So whenever I'm able to share with people these smaller communities, it feels much more rooted in a creative practice for me that lets me spend more time observing instead of just running around. And I think that you do develop often like really deep connections with people um, that you know if you if you miss your morning coffee at your coffee shop they're gonna notice and ask you how you're doing that's so well said um, I 100% agree with that I'm thinking about uh, lyrics from one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs and he talks about uh, how in a small town nobody crowds you and nobody goes it alone and that's like really what um, jumps out to me about the appeal of living in a smaller community is that, you know, it's definitely a slower pace of life. It's way more affordable, which helps in terms of, you know, piecing together an income if you're a working artist. It's the relationships and it's the people and it's just the beauty of the ordinary, you know, people people making their way through life and overcoming challenges and, you know, both being hardened by a lot of the, the stuff that we endure in the world and also, um, having a big heart for when people are trying to do something new or something creative or, um, you know, need help with a challenge. I mean, there's so much beauty and it's not necessarily traditional beauty, but um, just like the snow covered trains and um, the community festivals and and the the eclectic mix of people that come out to things and and their individual stories and experiences. There's so much to draw inspiration from in a small town. I think, um, Hannah, like you said, that slower pace just makes you so much more able to savor it and appreciate it and have that time and space to sit and observe and, um, and be moved by what you see here. That's it for the premiere of Prism. Stay tuned for our next installment coming soon. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts on the conversation you just heard or ideas for what we should cover in upcoming episodes, please visit our website, keystoneedge.com, and reach out. You can also message us on Facebook or Instagram. Until next time.